0: back, Everyone to another episode of High and Wide Radio. Here as always, I'm Angry Jim with Jack and Kyle. Jack and Kyle, how
1: are you guys? I'm feeling um I'm feeling different, Jim. You know, I uh, I'm, feeling, what you- I'm feeling sober. <laughs> Tell me
0: <laughs> So how how many days are we going on here? We're going six, seven.
1: I got my seven day button today, and I exchanged that button for a bottle of wine. So you're off the wagon. Uh, yeah, but I just got off the wagon, you know. It was like a week probationary period and now I'm good again. <laughs> I'm just going to take it easy, that's all. I'm just going to you know, nice and slow.
0: Hey, there's nothing wrong with having a little drinky, poo.
1: That's what I told myself until I indulged way too much, but <laughs> point is, I'm back. I'm normal. Let's do this. <laughs>
2: Kyle, I think you thought uh, last week was a little bit of the after-party show like we had with uh, Dan.
1: Yeah, you know, the after-hours. after, after hours. I, <laughs> I, I wish it was. I wish it wasn't recorded, to be honest with you. But hey, that, that's life.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Thankfully for, for everybody else's listening pleasure, it, it was recorded. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode. I know we had fun, as always. Um, We have a a special guest coming on tonight. He's going to join us in about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. Rush Joy of Crossing Broad and 610 ESPN will be joining us just very shortly. Um, You know, I don't want to cover all the topics that we're going to talk about in just a a little bit, guys. But, you know, a lot of stuff happened over the past week. Uh, Flyers failed to go undefeated for the second straight week. Uh, Jack, you said you actually went to two of the games. I mean, did you want to talk about them a little bit here?
1: Yeah, I went to the Toronto game and that was, um, I think Kevin Hayes said it best. Cause it's true. It was the closest six to one game he's ever played. Uh-huh. And that's exactly what it felt like. I mean, I thought the first period Toronto was actually looking better. And then the Flyers got that one goal in the second. And then, uh, Toronto tied it up like, a little bit halfway through the third, maybe not fully halfway, but the Flyers came right back down and scored. Toronto actually pulled a goalie. Faraby gets a, a, a empty netter, and then Ghost and JVR score after that. You know, just making it six to one. So it was kind of like, you know, like this game was tight up until like the last five minutes or last twelve minutes in which they scored tw- five goals. So I mean, I mean, that's fantastic. They needed that. Carter Hart looked fantastic. That one goal that was was, it was so weird. We were busting on New Jersey for the giving up a very similar type of goal. Just kind of hit him funny and flickered in the air. Nobody knew where it was and found its way in the net. Other than that, he was flawless. Uh, and then just I uh, I don't want to say a completely different picture. When I went to the uh, Arizona Coyotes game, uh, Vigneault said it best when he said, we get a 10 for effort, but a 7 for execution. And that's what it felt like. It was a very frustrating game. Uh, you gotta hand it to Darcy Kemper. I mean he he came to play that that night and he was not given giving them anything easy. Flyers had some trouble definitely they needed to capitalize on the power play and they did not. Uh, other than that, it was mostly Phoenix or Arizona they just they just smother you. And Flyers did not respond very well. I think Drew had one of his worst games of the year. He took like two penalties like right off the bat, like back to back and I think they scored on one of them. I can't remember. Um. So yeah, that was a tough one. But they were also felt like they were due for a loss. Like they had just played so many games. They've been playing good, so well. It just felt like it was time. Um. So yeah, those are the two games I went to. Kyle,
0: do you see anything? Uh, I don't know, anything that was out of the ordinary this week, or anything that kind of you know perked your uh, interest, or, or or anything?
1: I don't know. Yeah. Uh,
2: no. I mean, all in all, it wasn't a terrible week to be a Flyers fan. Uh, You're going to lose games. And when you do lose games, I prefer to lose them against a team that is playing extremely good hockey, like Phoenix is, with an extremely hot goalie, like Phoenix has. So I don't, I mean, like nothing really disappointed me. If anything, the Ottawa game was a little bit of a disappointment, but it was fun to watch.
0: Oh yeah. And and I'm going to try to tie this into uh, some of the attendance issues later on. And I think Kyle, you you actually brought this up on Twitter. Uh, Jack, you as well. I think you guys were going back and forth with somebody about uh, you know some of the older time hockey. Uh, and, and while we're talking about older time hockey, I don't know if everyone's uh, heard or not yet, but our very own Kyle Warner is going to be starting up his own uh, show. Kyle, you want to talk about that a little bit before we have Russ on?
2: Yeah, man, no problem. So uh, basically I've decided I'm going to start a show where I do one-on-one interviews. It's called Enforcer's Corner. I'm going to have enforcers of the past, and hopefully I can get some guys from the present one. Not that there's many that still exist, but uh, I'm going to sit down and interview them one-on-one and hopefully we get some good content out of it.
0: Um, you can have me on the show whenever you want. I'm I'm a present enforcer.
2: Yeah. For which team?
0: <laughs> uh Delta Force.
2: I I'm no. sure Phil's don't told you. Don't story. You dare utter. Don't you dare <laughs> utter that name like you're a I, member. Jesus. Ask Phil. Yep. We we just got an L for you mentioning you're on our team.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they used to call me Machine Gun Jimmy back in the, back when I played. Ask him.
2: So you would be labeled a former enforcer. Well, but basically, I just, all I heard about was you had to just keep coming to Paul's aid because Paul starts a lot of shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Hey, but I was still out there. Uh, you were all horned up, huh? Uh, I stay horned up, baby. Yeah, I, I'm still present. I just, you know, I don't have a. I'm a free agent right now. You know, I'm, I'm doing the, the potty with you guys. Please you ever call me... it that.
2: Please
1: never call it that again.
0: What? Just call do it us what? all a favor. Don't call it what?
1: I'm not saying it. <laughs>
2: if,
1: I, if I ever had to fight Jim you know, <laughs> out there, Mr. Enforcer, I would just make sure I had some kind of food I know you can't have just in my glove. <laughs> I would just wash it you know, whitewash your face with it and just watch the magic unfold after that.
0: Just have the ambulance ready because that's all you pay. <laughs>
1: i'd be acting like i knocked you out though <laughs> i'd be like oh go to sleep
0: you have guys getting knocked out with concussions and we'll talk about a certain player who's knocked out with a concussion for a, at least a, the foreseeable future but uh yeah you can knock me out with the with the red pepper yeah put me straight into the hospital yep <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah kyle's got a new show coming up it should be a fun show i, I mean I, i'm excited to listen we've got some cool guests lined up for you guys um yeah, how did, how did we get on enforcers there?
1: Well, it, His new show, essentially.
0: Yeah, uh, how did we get on to the new show? We were talking about
1: what happened in the Sens game. Oh, yeah. It, what a game, huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: a good game to have Stewart playing.
1: Yeah, well, he'll definitely be playing next time. But it's just like I actually missed a majority of this game because of the time it was on, but I did catch the end. And Twitter's reaction to what Brady Gachuk, that Brady Gachuk – Scott Lawton uh, fiasco at the end has absolutely baffled me. Like, I don't know. I don't know what you guys think or what you guys thought. I'm all about standing up for your team and what have you. But just the way things went down was like, it just blew my mind. I'm like, you got people like are cheering for this, t- calling it badass when you cross-check somebody from behind and then attack him while he's down. Like, I'm all about standing up to somebody face-to-face, but attacking somebody from behind, that's a... That's, uh, that's a a cheerable thing. Oh, and costing your team the game, by the way, because once he took that penalty, it, they, they weren't coming back. They were now killing a penalty with I don't even know how much time left. But it was like Twitter's Twitter just went uproar, and it was like Sen fans and Flyers fans just going at each other's throats. They were attacking us for being Brawl Street bullies and the whole How could dare we? And it was ridiculous.
0: It's crazy because when stuff like that happens, I mean, like it's cool. Like everyone has an opinion, and that's that's great, but. You know, sometimes you'd wish some people would just keep them to themselves. You know, uh,
1: you know, I just put I just put out my thoughts, and s- the way people think, it's like it just it baffles me. It's like I understand where you're coming from, but did you see the actual play? Oh, right. well, he chirped. What fucking hockey player doesn't chirp? Or oh, right, he chirped the whole mm-hmm. bench. I've seen that a million times. I've seen that yeah. a million times in smaller games, the less important games, and less physical games. They they do that. It's sh- worth-
2: It's worth noting that him and Brady were going at it the entire game.
1: That's fine. I I understand why.
2: And Scott Scott Long kept telling him no.
1: Right. And I I get it. And I also get that he took a Don't go
2: at somebody and and then tell him no all game. You're going to get jumped.
1: The way he did it was fucking retarded. You're going to check a guy from behind. And then while he's down, you're going to jump him. That's a bitch rich kid not getting his way. Because he cost his team when he took the penalty. I mean, come on, well, what do, what, do what Scott really Lawton good. did and you know score the game-winning goal. That's what. That's what he should have done. Instead, he just cost. Oh, he's our team leader and all this shit. He just cost you guys the game. That's retarded.
0: You have a retort to that, Kyle?
1: Nah, I'm gonna let Jack go.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Said the R word. I apologize.
2: What was the R word?
1: I would not like to repeat it. <laughs>
0: What was the p word?
1: Um, Body. Philadelphia. Fly- <laughs> <No>. uh, <laughs> All right. I, I get it, but it just I can't I can't get behind it. Like I, I look at it this way: like Brady Kachuk, he's a young player. He's good. He's got emotion. That's fine. What he did at the end of the game was was fucking stupid. <laughs> like, and I, I, if it were uh, Flyers, I wouldn't. I would feel a little embarrassed. I wouldn't cheer or anything like that. If he did that and didn't cost his team the game, I can understand that a little bit more, but mm, no, I, I can't get behind that. Especially how they try to protect players in the game nowadays, how everything that they're saying, it's like, okay, we're suddenly okay with this. I, I don't know. I would have liked, I, I would have liked to seen something else. That's all. Oh,
0: great, great point, Shaq. You know, let's, let's get to this more on the other side. Um, we've got a, a quick ad coming up for you guys. Sorry about that. Um, listen to it. It's, it's going to be my voice, sexy voice, and then we'll have Rush Joy coming up on the other side. So give us two minutes, and then we'll be back with um, Rush Joy. All right, boys and girls, we're back with the one and only Rush Joy of Crossing Broad and the Snow the Goalie podcast. Russ, thanks for joining us tonight. How are you?
3: I'm doing fantastic. It's always a great time to talk Flyers hockey.
0: Absolutely right, especially when they're winning some games, man. I mean, a uh, two and one week last week. Uh, we talked a little bit already about the win over Toronto. Um, we covered the Coyotes game just a tad, I mean, it was pretty much a, a boring game for the most part. Um, the game that everybody seems to be talking about is the Ottawa Senators game, uh, which happened on Sun. Uh, I'm sorry, Saturday. Um, let's talk about that game a little bit. I mean, you you go to the games, Russ. What you see from um, the, the Flyers team uh, on Saturday?
3: What an unfortunate lead-in on that one. It was the first game that I've missed. I think in Oklahoma. oh, good. <laughs> um, yeah, we uh, we got to uh, go up to uh, the Great White North of uh, Northern Pennsylvania to my uh, nephew's third birthday party. So we missed out on going and seeing a, a real
1: uh, get the hell a party. real barn serious? burner. Yeah, I didn't miss
3: nothing. And- and the first thing I said, <laughs> I, I sat down on the couch. We got to the birthday party an hour early. We were like kind of mocking how my parents showed up to the last party uh, an hour early or two hours early. And then we were the the morons who showed up uh, an hour early. Sat down on the couch, turned it on, and just watched all hell break loose. <laughs> and the first thing I said to my wife was, like, of, of all the games to miss, it had to be this one. Hmm. Um, that was what potentially I- the most exciting game of the year so far. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily for all the right reasons. I mean, they, they've had better games. They've had better finishes to games. But, you know, the, the hit on uh, TK, I think, is uh, it's one of the unfortunate kind of things that happens in hockey. And, you know, I saw enough people saying that it was a dirty hit. I don't think it was dirty. I just think it, it ended up being a, a confluence of a few bad events. And it's unfortunate because of how good TK's been. He's the personification of everything that the old Broad Street bully is supposed to be mixed in with the, uh, you know, some of the finesse of the modern game. And it was great, though, to see the way that the team reacted and to see that Scott Lawton was out chirping, causing mayhem and and ultimately scoring the goal that wins him the game. So, I mean, there are positives to take out of that one for sure. I get why people were were so hyped up for it.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And and. Let me um, bring this part up here because you mentioned Scott Lawton chirping the bench a little bit. Um, Kyle, you had some uh, um, thoughts and opinions on that that, that might you know, ruffle a couple Flyers fans' feathers, but it's not necessarily the, the wrong opinion. You want to talk about that a little bit?
2: No, I just kind of felt like if you're going to be chirping the benches like that, if you're going to be playing the antagonist the entire game, when something like that takes place, you can't then play the victim. Like, oh, he jumps me, or as Flyers fans are putting it and defending Scott Lawton, like, oh, that was despicable, and this, that, and the other thing. Well, at the same time, the Ottawa Senators ain't making the playoffs. So all they're playing for right now is pride. If you're going to sit there and chirp them and go at them and continue and not expect anything to take place, then that's on you, in my personal opinion. No, do I think it was a clean play? No, absolutely not. Did I not necessarily think it was going to take place? I was pretty sure something was going to take place. And then on top of that, you have a broken finger that you still have wrapped up. You can't fight. Stop. Stop starting shit, in my personal opinion. But, hey, it is what it is.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of like that stuff. I mean, you, granted, he only had nine fingers, so it's not like he could fight. But, I mean, you know, you're going up against a, a younger team. You're going up against a, a guy like Brady Kachuk who, you know, he's a young kid, still 20 years old. You, you know you can get under his skin type stuff. Um, if you want to call Lawton an an, agita- an agitator type player in that game, then I think that's that's fine. Um, he went out and he did a job, you know. you. Number one, he scored the game-winning goal, which, you know, is really what you want in that game. And then, you know, to to skate by and chirp the bench and, you know, bait the other teams. I guess he's their best player on the team into, you know, what ended up being a game-ending penalty uh, for the most part. I I think that's pretty smart by Scott Law. And I think it's pretty heads-up playing by a guy that's turning out to be one of the leaders on this roster. Um,
1: Jim, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say that Kachuk essentially played into Lawton's game and he did I get that something was going to happen but I just didn't like the way it happened he was cross-checked from behind and then jumped and the guy's already hurt I I mean I get it he he chirped because that's not exactly a foreign concept but Lawton got them riled up and scored the game-winning goal Kachuk, while he did have a goal earlier in the game just cost his team at the end of the night like yeah. so, all this leadership stuff about Kachuk is it, it's just—it's silly. I think he made a bitch-rich kid move. I'm um, this really? I'm getting a penalty for this? Well, then I'm gonna get my—I'm gonna get my worth, you know? it just <laughs> cost the team the game, and, and I think that's what that was. And I don't think players go into a season think, well, we're not doing anything this year. I—I not not November or December. I think that they're playing and they've been playing better. They've been beating teams they shouldn't have been beaten. And they got guys already looking at getting re-signed or traded because they've been playing well, and it's December. Uh, I think that they wanted that game, and they had that game, and he fell into Lawton's trap. And, you know, if he had, like, gotten, gotten his face and started pushing and shoving, God, he wouldn't have said a word, you know, broken finger or not. Like, I get it. He's starting stuff. But the way it went down was like, come on. That's
3: that's Bush League. It's the perfect Philly play, though, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's, well, it's exactly. It's exactly what fans want to see. Yep. And it's the perfect example of, of being really the, the perfect kind of Philly player, right? It's a guy who is willing to cause mayhem despite having an injury. It's a guy who's going to get in the other team's head and, and draw a stupid penalty on them. And I think part of the reason that, that the play looked as bad as it did, um, the cross-check and then the jumping from behind, is hockey hasn't been nearly as brutal, or as physical as i think we've grown accustomed to seeing fighting has in you know for the most part this season with the flyers been non-existent you're not seeing the the kind of i wouldn't even say like goonish ways of the past but we're seeing more of like a, a almost like a finesse game and this flyers team that has always built an identity on being a tough group it, it's not something that we've seen a lot of this year so the Lawton thing here is is good the acting—I I don't know—upset that he got jumped from behind again. It's it's kind of like a perfect embodiment of what a Philly fan is, right? There's part of that acting tough, and then when it actually happens, you kind of go off and and cry to your to your pals, right? Like it's just <laughs> kind of the way that it works. And then if you get called on it, you say, "No, I I wasn't crying to them at all. I was just telling them. I was, you know, they're lucky that they held me back. It's just kind of the the perfect way for it to work out." But Lawton, I think, has done a really good job of being a guy who despite being a first-round pick and, and kind of being criticized by fans for, for quite a while for only being a bottom six forward, he's doing exactly what you need a bottom six guy to do. And the most impressive part of Lawton, I think, is from him being out for an extended period of time, it didn't take him much of any time to get back into the swing of things. And that's something that you can't say about a lot of players when they come off of an injury. He was a, a, an impact player from, from the get-go.
0: Uh, it seems him and uh, Kevin Hayes have found almost instant chemistry on that third line.
3: Yeah. Um, and I, I, if you go and watch the uh, behind-the-scenes videos that the Flyers put out of Kevin Hayes, um, I think you could see why a guy would want to have chemistry. Um, you have the off-the-ice kind of thing where he said that he thinks this is the tightest group that he's ever played with. Mm-hmm. And you watch those videos and you see that the way the guys interact with him. And it's pretty clear that he is... Uh, part comedian and part locker room glue. It's a, it's a really underrated quality of a player to come in as a brand new player to a team who's coming in with a history with the, with the head coach. And, and that might be part of why he's, you know, made an alternate captain, but to be the guy that's more than just a liaison between the coach and the players, he's a guy that clearly has made and and forged relationships with the, the rest of his teammates. And he looks to be, you know, part of why this locker room seems to be so tight. And that, that that says a lot about his character, again, like as a first year player with this organization. And the fact that, you know, Giroux said after the um, I think it was after the Toronto game, uh, we asked him about it. And Giroux said that Hayes feels like he's been here for 10 years. You know, it's just it's something that you don't see from a new player.
0: No, at least not. Not here, not recently, not in the last couple of years. I mean, usually we get the uh, you know the guys we can't wait for them to leave, like the Wees and, and guys like that. But I think Kevin Hayes has been a breath of fresh air, especially you know with this roster, uh, where he's he's come in and he's not afraid to be himself. He, he you know, um, like you said, he, he kind of lightens up the mood in that locker room a little bit. Uh, the coach knows him; he, he's fun to watch. I mean, uh, when they first signed him, I don't know if I could speak for myself. Wasn't crazy for the signing, but he's completely changed my perception of what kind of player he is. And then you know, his personality just makes him it makes him a fan favorite, I think.
3: And he had to fight from from out from behind uh right from the get-go. Oh yeah. Uh he he referenced us over on uh I guess it was spit and chicklets about Frank Saravalli from T S N came on Snow the Goalie and we were talking about Hayes and he said that um Saravalli told us that a, a, a player had told him, I think it was the night before Game 7 in Boston, that he had run into Hayes. And Hayes said the only way that he was going to sign with the Flyers is if they overpaid him. So we're like, OK, you know, good soundbite, good moment. We put it out. It got picked up by uh, Yahoo in Canada. And then all of a sudden it just caught a life of its own. And Hayes said as much as, you know, it was something that the guys in the locker room were kind of ribbing him about. Early on, Um, he he's done a really great job. I mean, there there is no way to quantify the the importance of being able to fight your way out of that kind of perception with your teammates, even if they were joking, but more importantly, with the fan base. And he hasn't put up the points, right? Like he's crossed that 50 point threshold once in his career. And I think a lot of fans were expecting that if you're going to spend seven million plus on a guy that he's going to come in and be a 50, 60 odd point player and that's not what he does but what he has done is he solidified the pk and he's been a great all situations player for them and you know it's nice to occasionally see like he had a goal last week where you know he's he's out there dangling the puck he's Mm. out pushing guys away and he and he's kind of doing whatever he wants with the puck he's been he's been yeah a breath of fresh air
0: no doubt you guys have anything you want to add in on on kevin hayes scott lawton
2: no no, i mean i enjoy the hell out of watching him play hockey the way he protects the puck is something like not a lot of players in the league can do i mean granted he's not going to absolutely wow you with 80 90 points and quite frankly i don't need that out of the guy what i needed was exactly what i'm getting out of him he's going to end up with 50 55 points this year he's right on pace for it um and he has solidified the PK, which is exactly what they needed. I mean, the way he plays the game um, from a fan standpoint, I can get why people got mad when they seen the price tag. But like Ross was just saying, pretty sure Philly's behind the dude now after a couple months of watching him play.
0: That's for sure. Um... What I really wanted to bring up here, uh, you know, obviously, Travis Konechny is out for uh, the foreseeable future with concussion. He's not traveling with the team on their current uh, road trip. Um, the, how, the, how do you say this guy's last name? Barovetsky? Barovetsky? Uh, Bar- Bar- whatever. Oh, Barovetsky. Yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of people who are looking at the hit and calling it dirty. Um, there's a lot of people that are, you know, starting to blame Justin Braun for the pass, um it's
2: a pretty bad pass it was definitely a suicide pass
0: yeah i, I mean i i can only assume that he saw connect open in this in the second and maybe it was a quick flinch he made the pass and you know didn't see uh Baravetsky behind him I, I can't imagine that he saw the player uh, saw the defensive player and made the pass knowing that connecting is going to get destroyed um unfortunate play i think is the best way to describe it there i mean I think it even ended up head on head. I think that's what kind of knocked me out there. I saw some blood on uh, Barwetsky after the hit. <clears throat> Russ, what are your thoughts on on that play?
3: It is what it is. Yeah, really. I yeah. It, again, like I, I get why people get upset about it. I get why people would be upset about the hit. Um, you're more upset on uh, because of who who it was on, and because of how important he's been, and. The problem that they've run into now is it comes at a bad time because when your team is rolling all four lines, when your team is gelling and your team, regardless of where guys are in the lineup, they're executing at a high level, Um, taking your top scorer out, your top goal scorer, your top assist, your top point man, uh, taking him out of the equation now jostles a lot of these lines. And the way that Av opted to uh, modify his lines for the next game was interesting, wasn't it? Is is interesting, and it also kind of speaks to I think an issue that kind of exists here with one of their highest paid players in James Van Riemsdyk. Insofar as Novino said that Tyler Pitlick is a better option on the top line because he's comfortable playing on the right wing whereas JVR isn't and he doesn't want to experiment with Claude Giroux moving over to the right nor having him return to center to get JVR back up and that that says a lot to me um I think it's interesting that they're going to keep Frost as the top line center like I think that's a good thing um the again like the fallout because of what happened to connect is going to be rough because Pitlick's played well like don't get me wrong he's he's played Better than expected, and truthfully, like he, this was a, a really good trade, right? Uh, getting rid of Ryan Hartman, who people at the end of last year were kind of iffy on. Anyway, like Pitlick's played well. Um, the question now is, like, I, I don't want to like sound all the alarm bells and make it sound like TK is going to be out for like three weeks. You got to remember, I think it was back in twenty eleven, Claude Giroux went out with a concussion. They said it was indefinite. He was back in three days. And he put up mm-hmm. four points in his return. The Flyers have never been a uh, fully transparent team when it comes to concussions or how long it's going to take a guy to to recover or the severity of the concussion. It, it, I mean, could he be out for a long time? Sure. Could he be back in, you know, in, in a week or so? Yeah, you know, anything's possible. They said that he's not going to make the trip with the team, but things change. Things change mm-hmm. all the time. It takes, you know, a couple of days of being cleared by doctors and you're back in at it. So. It's an unfortunate play, but you know, we'll have to see how the team is able to to recover and, and to try to fill in. I, I'm not expecting Tyler Pitlick to be the only guy to get a look on that top line with, with Frost and Giroux though.
0: No, I don't think so either. Um Jack, what do you um what are your opinions on on that hit?
1: Uh I mean it is what it is, is a good way to put it. I, I watching in slow motion is tough because i don't like watching connecting, <laughs> looking at the pass and then get leveled but it in real time it is what it is and it's a shame um i don't want to seem too too much like a softy you know it, it's still hockey at the end of the day and yeah no i mean going into the line combinations that's i, it, what, I mean what's that tell you about jvr man and this is what him. what Having two goals in recent games—not that I'm impressed with, really that impressed with either one of them. I mean, they were—they up they have to be up like five to one for him to score, you know. And um, Pitlick's been a little spark plug. I, I've liked what I've seen from him for sure. He's got that energy going, and maybe he—maybe uh, he gets more Morgan Frost going or something like that, you know? Because this that line hasn't done a whole lot uh, at least lately. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not against it. Uh, JVR needs to show me more, that's for sure. He's still getting his power play time, is he not?
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think that's, you know, I- I'm okay with him being on the fourth. I say okay when I think about how much money he's making. I'm kind of not okay with it. Um, but as I guess he's, he's going to get his points on the power play. So, I mean, and when you look at this lineup, where where else can you really put him? I mean, Lawton's playing well with Hayes. Lindblom's playing well with Coots. Uh, you got to keep Giroux and-, and Frost together, I guess, right? Unless you're going to move uh, G to center or-, or to right wing. I mean, there's nowhere else for JVR in this lineup. And I don't know, that's kind of weird. I want to say it could potentially be a problem. It could be an issue because like realistically, Russ, how long can you keep a guy making $7 million on your fourth line?
3: Uh, It depends. It really depends on your, your coach. Your coach has the clout to make that decision. So there, there are two things. Uh, One, the way that you just outlined the lines is interesting and it's, it's a, a very good way to do it. And Talking about duos more so than the lines themselves because what a lot of people don't seem to realize or a lot of fans often don't totally grasp is coaches especially in the case of AV like we had him on our show in the summer and like he talked a lot about wanting to find those duos that work well together more so than the lines right that's just the way that coaches like to roll. And then you can plug and play somebody to see if you can build chemistry ac- across the line. Um, kind of like what he found early in the season with, uh, as TK put them, uh, he named them Coots and the Kids. When it was he and, and Lindblom and uh, Couturier together. Um, as for, like, how long JVR stays down on the fourth line, I mean, it, it, to me, it, it comes back to he, he can stay there because of the way that the team is meshing. He has not been a malcontent. I can tell you that there are other guys in the locker room who historically, when things don't go their way with with them playing where they want in the lineup, um, they can become a bit of a malcontent. And Van Riemsdyk, I think his first run in Philly was one of those guys. And in this return stint, he's being looked at more as a leader. Um, He's being looked at more uh, as a role model for the younger guys. And I think that that seems to be something where in the postgame scrums when when he's requested, he kind of keeps coming back to this idea of, you know, everybody having to be like next man up, about, you know, not getting your head down, about continuing to play with confidence. There There is this notion that at some point he'll get himself back up in the lineup. But if he's playing as well as he is and he's driving play like he is and he's causing this fourth line to, you know, dominate, at least in terms of course, e for. Like it, anytime you can get good chances out of your fourth line, you're going to want to go with it. Right. And anytime uh, you're going to be able to get some power play time there to also build confidence and be a big body in front, which they don't quite frankly have enough of. Um, he's going to find the net. It, he's too good and he's been too good for too long at finding the back of the net for him to to not find it at, at the rate that, you know, he's he he's obviously underperforming the contract this season. But it's not to say that he can't do it. I think at some point he will. And when he does, he'll be as streaky of a player as he's ever been. And, you know, we'll probably see a six game stretch where he puts in eight or nine. And we're going to think this is the seven and a half million dollar guy. Mm-hmm. And then the next week he'll go out and, you know, maybe in five games he'll have one goal and and everybody's going to want to, like, you know, rip him apart. So it just kind of is what it is
0: while we're on the topic of JVR what do you think about all the people out there who who want more from JVR like it's weird because i feel like everybody knows that he was signed to do one thing and that's score goals but i find that there's a lot of people out there who are frustrated because of his lack of physicality and you know he doesn't do anything for them on defense and blah 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 what do you i mean what do you say to to guys like that i mean what how do you counter that like he's here to do one thing and that's score
3: have you have you watched him? Like, yeah. I think that the people like the people who get upset that he's not the most physical guy like you, ha- you don't have to watch much film on him to see that that's just not the kind of guy he is. I mean, I remember in his first his first run um, when it, it was a playoff game against Boston, he had two goals uh, early on. And in both both instances, it was him shielding a defender off the puck and and him just being a massive body and a more powerful and a and a guy with more will and determination than his opponent. And he popped a couple in and you're like, this is the kind of power forward that this team has lacked and needs for whatever reason. He just doesn't do it. And you know, you can't change the way that a player plays. You can try, but after enough coaches and after enough, you know, people in his ear and after enough contracts, like at at some point you just kind of settle into the player that you are. And if being on the fourth line, hasn't lit enough of that fire for him to change, to fundamentally change the way he approaches the game. Nothing's going to, which, you know, some people might be upset with. But again, he's getting paid to score goals. Is he doing it at the rate that you want him to? No. By the end of the season, will he have the numbers that are in line with a $7 million player? Probably. It's just, you know, you want those goals to come in bigger moments and you don't want them to be at the end of like a blowout win as long as they come in in crunch time and they they happen in big spots nobody's going to complain
0: i can agree with that kyle you have anything you want to add in on jvr or jack
1: now we always said jvr was a streaky scorer man and we i was hoping once he did start scoring it would come in bunches why when he scored on in toronto i believe it was the sixth goal of the game i was hoping that that would open up some floodgates but until he starts doing it on the power play when it matters to like force himself up the lineup, he's got to kind of stay put. And like you were saying, he's, he's never, we've, we've had issues with him being physical since when we first had him. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm at the point now where it's like, I don't expect physicality out of him. We know what he is. Like you said, you watched him play the first time around here. He's a, he's a goal scorer, power forward. And, you know, he just, Wins board battles basically, but he's not going to hit anybody, he's not going to loot cheech anything, you know. So, you and he's streaky to begin with, so you just got to hope that he works himself out of this rut. He's, I'm glad to hear that he's more of a leadership, uh, in a leadership role this time around. So, being on the fourth line, you know, it's really not as embarrassing as it could be, especially for how long it's been, but at the same time until he you know, scores that goal that puts us up one in the third or takes the lead or ties the game on the power play or whatnot, I don't really care that he's on the fourth line. He's got to figure it out himself. And, yeah, could it be an issue? Sure. You know, I already have issues with the cap as it is. Um, <laughs> and I do want him to be uh, – I want him to look a little bit juicy for when Seattle comes around, but you can't force these things. And I'm behind Vigneault because so far this team has gotten off to their best – start since geez i don't know our stanley wow. cup year or maybe 2012 like so it is what it is i hope he works himself out of it he should he's streaky to begin with and i feel like if he does work himself out of it in about a month and a half we'll be talking about how he's you know gone cold again but that that's JVR. you know it is what it is i, I feel
2: like he's been kind of working himself out of it a little bit i mean that fourth line was playing good hockey jbr is not playing bad hockey it's kind of like the same thing. Like, you remember earlier in the year when we were watching Voracek, and Voracek was just playing bad hockey, and he wasn't putting up anything but garbage time points against when we were getting killed in games, and we were all like, you know, we're pretty much done with him. And then he kind of worked himself out of it, you know. But JVR has, hasn't has played bad hockey yet this season, in my personal opinion. He hasn't played bad hockey in the, the – offensive zone he's been playing a hell of a lot better in the defensive zone than he's probably played in his entire career I'd argue he just needs to work himself out and so far I I feel like he's starting to come out of it he's been putting up some points lately granted at the end of games and but he had he had two assists against Ottawa the other night so
1: no I mean it's a good point he he's not playing bad hockey and the effort is there um it just the only thing is with guys like uh Vorchek, who i've definitely been critical of guys like him guys like Giroux, they're getting paid to do everything where JVR is getting paid to do one thing and that's why i think he's getting so much shit for it but you're right i mean you got to play good hockey before you could you know do the basics right before you can get back to doing what you do or uh, what your specialty is so i mean yeah it's a good sign
3: There's another big part of this, too, like the idea of him playing this better, well-rounded game, like the one, probably the number one term that's gone around in that locker room is accountability. And that all comes back to A.V. Um, It's one thing when a guy like Dave Haxtell, who's an unproven commodity beyond the, you know, beyond the college game is in. It's another thing when Scott Gordon, who had, you know, had served as a head coach before in an interim basis and, and had been an assistant coach and had been down at the, the AHL it's one thing when he tries to, you know, rattle guys and, and shift them in the lineup. It's another thing when a guy who's come in, who's taken two different teams to a Stanley cup final comes in and has clout and, and and he shifts those lines and he changes the way that they practice. Um, it doesn't matter if it's a young guy who's new to the team. It doesn't matter if it's a vet who's been here his entire career. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, Kevin Hayes who's played with him before. They all talk about accountability. They all know that if they don't practice hard, they don't get the benefit of the they don't get the benefit of the doubt. And that's a big thing. Like that that is a big thing with a pro locker room, and it's a big thing with this team. And quite frankly, the, the accountability piece had been missing for the last few years. Um, certainly in the last year that I was down there covering the team, uh, accountability was not a thing that guys talked about. Um, they shaded each other quite a bit after games. I, I wrote last year that I thought the locker room was fractured. And I think in a lot of ways that was because nobody was there to hold any of these guys accountable. Uh, vets in a lot of instances felt like they were entitled to their playing time and the young guys were kind of pissed off that they weren't able to crack, um, Crack into a line that was ahead of where they were because of you know the name on the back of the jersey. This year, that whole thing has changed, and it started with training camp, and it's just continued through the season. It it has to be a positive thing for fans, especially who were upset about the way this team looked over the last few years.
0: You know what? That's that's really encouraging to hear, Russ, uh, because when when I hear that, <clears throat> excuse me, I think back to when Chuck Fletcher was brought in. And one of the first things he said was he needs to change the mindset of some of the players on this team, you know, cause people, obviously when you, when you bring in a new GM, the first thing everybody thinks of is, okay, he's going to make some moves. He, heads some heads are going to roll. And, you know, you think guys like Voracek or, you know, even some people will throw out Giroux's name, you know, obviously you trade the captain when you get a new coach, a new GM, whatever the hell. Um, but I found it very interesting that Chuck Fletcher said he wants to change the mindset of some of these guys. <clears throat> And the first thing he, I mean, the, the most major thing he did was bring in a coach. And that was Elaine Vigneault, a guy with a proven track record. These um, teams are always near the top of the league. He's won a couple division titles. He's, I believe he's won a couple President's Trophies. You know, he's been to two Stanley Cup Finals. I i wasn't, I was happy that they brought in Vigneault. I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to change some of the guys on this roster. <clears throat> and I'm thinking about guys like Borchek. Uh, don't get me wrong. He, I've always loved Giroud, but there always just seemed to be something off for me there. Um, and you know, you can tell me if I'm wrong. It's okay. I'm wrong a lot, but he just seemed like maybe he was. Uh, I don't know how to how to say it, Russ. He maybe like too much one of the guys as opposed to being the guy that was going to hold players accountable there. Um, so once Elaine Vigneault was brought in, you're kind of seeing things trickle down. Uh, and I've noticed a lot in interviews. Players sound the same, and I feel like you can hear the coach through the players. Uh, am I accurate there?
3: Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Um, it's it's not as if they're they're mindless drones that are just right. mouthpieces for the coach, but you can tell that the message has gotten through, and it it's just been game in and game out. I, I can't tell you how different that locker room feels, even after a loss this season versus last season. I mean, after wins. It's it's still a much better experience than wins were last year because they were so few and far between last year. And that was more of a celebration of just, you know, not sucking for an extended period <laughs> of time. Whereas this year, it's they they feel like they can legitimately contend after losses. Um, you know, the the Arizona game, which, you know, I know you guys said was was a, a bad one to watch, a boring one to watch. It was, um, I, you know, last year, if that game had had worked out the way that it did. It would be a sullen, sunken, kind of miserable place to walk into where the guys were all just frustrated with each other for not being able to to break through. The team this year, it's not as if they had shaken it off by the time we got down there, but they were able to take a few positives out of it, and it was right on to the next game. And it wasn't in that kind of fake way where you just say you take one game at a time, we got to forget this, move on to the next, blah, blah, blah. It was, all right, like, this team that we played is a good team. There are things that we didn't execute properly. We know, and and I think two of the players at after that game said, "We know that our co- <laughs> we know that AV is going to have the film ready to go for us <laughs> to take a look at it." And so, you know, it it just again, it, it comes back to th- this team knows what to expect from this coaching staff, and that goes a long way. Um, and and AV is very clear about what he expects from his players to practice games everywhere. And that's why these guys all sound like they're on the same page, because they legitimately are.
0: It feels, as a fan, I mean, it, it's great to see because you know that that's kind of where it starts. If Like the word you used, the locker room is fractured last year. I mean, we could see that kind of stuff by the way the team plays. You could see what kind of guys are out there for themselves. And, um... You know, it really is, it's tough to watch. So having seen what we've seen so far this year, it's only been encouraging as a fan because, you know, it's, this is just the beginning. They're only two, three months in, and we're seeing some major, major changes, you know, as far as locker room chemistry, and then it tra- it's translating the play on the ice. Um, I don't want to get too hung up on that because we have a couple more topics here. I don't want to hold you too long past nine here, Russ. Um, don't I worry wanted- about it.
3: My my okay. kids are asleep and I'm just.
0: Oh, right, so you got out. all night then, huh?
3: I'm just here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here, so I won't get fined.
1: Oh, nice. Um,
0: all right, so then let's um let's keep going. And so uh, there was we already kind of touched on the Brady Kachuk hit and Scott Law and obviously um I had uh, uh Jason Mertidis on another show last week on the show I do with Dan uh, the Angry Negative Show. And I asked him to name a player who maybe the fans perceive in a negative way. And, you know, maybe they're wrong for – maybe – because I'm a fan as well. Maybe we're wrong for perceiving a player that way. Um, does any, anybody – you're in the locker room, so this is a good guy to ask. Are we wrong for perceiving any, any certain player uh, in a negative light? Or does any, anybody come to mind who maybe is misunderstood
3: for you? There's, there's nobody – off the top of my head. Okay. Jim, then
1: Jim can I interject real quick here? Sure. If, okay. So if you, Russ, you've been doing this for a few years,
3: a few seasons. It's the second, second year. Yeah.
1: Okay. So you were there last year. Can you please explain to me then what the uh, mystery that Andrew McDonald's aura was, that he's this, the greatest guy ever. And he's so fantastic <laughs> that he could literally <laughs> swim on the ice and it didn't matter
3: i I don't think anybody could explain it. Uh, <laughs> you
1: know, it's it's
3: like there were a lot of things. I mean, look, we have to remember like if if the uh, if the question is what did Andrew McDonald do particularly well? the answer of course is r- not really anything. <laughs> but you also have to remember, like last year, Dave Hackstall chose to scratch Oscar Lindblom to play finished Scarface, Yori Laterra, And so, it's, so many stupid things happened last season that I, 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 I can't even begin to touch on, uh, on what he did well. I do feel a little bit bad because it was the, uh, the game where they gave out the individual awards at the end of the season that the writers voted on and some of them voted very poorly on and whatever. Sometimes I wonder if, if some of the people in the press box watch the same game. Um, <laughs> Andrew McDonald. Uh, was not present to receive an award, and and we we kind of sat back and we were we were kind of befuddled by it. And uh, was it good sportsmanship? I don't remember which award it was, but we're like, seriously, you're not going to show sport- up?
2: And, and, and award.
3: That was it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they uh, it it like harkened back to when Allen Iverson and Chris Weber skipped out on fan appreciation night for the Sixers. Uh, it was just like, except people actually wanted to see those two play. Mm. Um, but Andrew McDonald not showing up for that was like the worst thing. So we, of course, like tried to start a firestorm on Twitter. We're like, where the hell's A AMAC? Like, where is he at? Because he wasn't up in the press box. We knew that we had seen him uh, down below and he was MIA. And then later in the game, somebody from Flyers PR, I think it was, told us that there was like a family emergency or his wife was sick or something. And we're like, seriously? All right. Like, hopefully she's fine. But like, also, come on. <laughs> it just felt like the most convenient thing. Uh, yeah, yeah there, there's there's really not much justification for uh, for good old A-Mac. So you're not changing
0: anybody's minds there?
3: No, I'm not looking to. You know what? I, I could give you – I'll give you this one, though, um, since you asked about somebody that was perceived negatively. I'm not going to sit here and say that Dale Weiss was a good player. He wasn't. But a year ago, the guy who kind of kept Nolan Patrick's head on straight by by many accounts was Dale Weiss. Um, and so I, I don't know. I kind of had like a soft spot for the guy and I felt bad for the way that things ended for him in Philly because they, they sent him home, uh, Uh and told him, they pretty much said, pack your bag, go home. We'll, we'll find a a new suitor for you kind of thing. Um, which I thought was kind of, kind of dirty on the team's part. Uh, but again, not a good player, so it doesn't really matter. Um, I, I guess, you know, Chris Stewart has been a guy who's kind of picked up that mantle of, of trying to keep uh, Nolan Patrick feeling like he's part of the team. And I know that, you know, quite often people are uh, pretty vocal about the fact that they don't think Chris Stewart should be on this team. And and I get it, you know, from a player perspective, there's really not much there. Um, you could make the case that if you thought he was such a good leader, you could have just had him as some kind of member of the coaching staff or training staff and kept him around the team in that kind of way. But, Knowing that he's been actively working to keep Nolan Patrick with this team and that some of the vets on this team have been trying to keep him uh, feeling as though he's still part of the group, even though he's not necessarily with them all the time or on the ice, I thought is is good. So I don't know. Maybe Chris Stewart's a misunderstood guy. If you have somebody else you can think of that people hate right now, I'll let you know if uh, if it's if it's warranted or not. So
0: a guy that came up on the show was uh, was Jake Voracek. You know he, he catches a lot of sh- a lot of stuff for you know as he was catching a lot for the, his play for over the first couple weeks of the season. Um, I guess some of the stuff that he says during interviews or or things like that, or you know if he's got an issue with the fan. Obviously everybody's blocked on Twitter, so that was an example. I'm blocked on Twitter. What the hell is that? I never, uh, like you're I, a good guy, like, Russ.
3: It's not like I ever like <laughs> tagged him in anything and said, oh, pull your head out of here. Like, no, I, I didn't say like, I just remember one day, like I saw him tagged in a tweet and I, and I went to click on it. It's like, you're blocked. Like, look, not many people block me. It takes a lot. All right. Am I a nuisance? <laughs> sure. Does some people compare me to a yippee chihuahua? Yeah. But like, I don't say much that's like block worthy. So I have no idea what happened, but I can't like I I tweet score a check when he scores. It's a beautiful thing. I don't know. I need to find out from him specifically why I got blocked. I'm sure he'll say I said something stupid. But um, Jake is a guy who uh, I have also been critical of because I find that there are are moments where he's got a wide open shooting lane and he's got like Ben Simmons itis where it's like you you have to show a willingness to shoot sometimes. Can you find that unbelievably tight seam to pass to to a, a teammate for that one last final pass? Sure. But if on occasion you rip one on net, you then cause a defenseman to, to, to have to play a little bit tighter to you. And that might end up opening up that window a little bit more for that that tight pass you're trying to execute. Um, I forget which game it was, uh, where he finally did unload one from the left circle, and uh, he roofed it over the goalie. Everybody lost their mind. And then after the game, a couple of guys said, you know, it was good to see him put one on net. It, huh. He's he's a guy, like, I, you have to know what you have in Jake Voracek. He's always going to be a guy that looks to pass first. And sometimes, and quite often, it can be to the detriment of the team because he's just trying to get a little bit too creative, a little bit too selfless. But he's he's a well-liked guy in the locker room. Is he odd? Sure. Is he eccentric? Yes. Uh, was he a fan of the Mike Sealski hit piece? No, he certainly was not, by all accounts. Uh, Wait,
0: but what, since is this, that, what is this Mike Sealski hit piece? Did I miss something here? Oh. Uh... The, uh, guys, Jack Kyle, do you guys know what that is? Did I miss
3: something?
2: No, but we're going down this rabbit hole now. Let's go, Russ. What are we talking about?
3: Sielski <laughs> <laughs> went down to a uh, to a practice, and he wrote an article about how Elaine Vigneault called out the the vets on the team. He called out Giroux. He called out Voracek. He was calling oh. out Hayes and Couturier. Um, and Sielski was the only guy who who wrote anything that made it sound like Av was being super critical of those guys. And then also pointed out the fact that while Vino was was giving these quotes to the media, that Jake was sitting at his locker laughing, okay. with a clear with a clear implication or insinuation that Jake uh, didn't agree and wasn't uh, afraid to let it be known.
0: Okay, I, yeah, we no, knew that. that. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you, you know what, said it, laughing behind his back, we all knew. Look,
3: the only thing I could tell you is that uh, I had a I had a couple of uh, people tell me that there was a uh, there was an apology issued by uh, by Sielski to uh, to Voracek. Am I positive that it was influenced by the Flyers organization to the Inquirer? No. Uh, do I think it was the most sincere? I have no idea. I wasn't there when it happened, but uh, Jake Jake has certainly turned it around since then.
0: And do you think it's because of the article? No. I just think
3: <laughs> I think he, he said uh, after one of the games he said he finally got that FU attitude back. And Maybe he said when way. and he said when when I have that, I have the confidence I need. And uh, again, like these guys and and in his case, like I, I think Jake is probably a guy who focuses too much on the social media aspect. That was one of the things that, oddly enough, since I mentioned him before, Dale We said um, when we had him on our show last year was you wouldn't believe how many guys in the NHL are focused, like, immediately. As soon as the game is over, they're on their phones, they're checking social. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if if you're seeing what's in your mentions and you decide that you want to go in there, fine. But if you're doing what I think, what well, what has to be happening, in Jake's case at least, and actually searching by your name – not just in your mentions then like you kind of have to get away from that right like if you need that kind of extrinsic motivation to get yourself up for the next game then i guess fine that's okay but if you get so far if you let those people get so far into your head that that now it's hurting what you're doing on the ice then it's an issue um i i think for jake it, it really just was he needed to see that some of these Creative passes that he has, uh, and some of these great sight lines that he has, and probably only he and Giroux share, maybe Morgan Frost share, we're finally netting results, and that he's kind of solidified himself in in this lineup. Nobody wants to be called out by their coach multiple times or have their name mentioned as a guy who needs to continue to perform better, and he's he's rebounded well. So he's he's kind of misunderstood, but I think he's misunderstood in in a lot of ways, uh, probably for the right reasons. Okay. He's just he's just a quirky guy. He's got his Czech accent, and you know, he blocks people randomly on Twitter. Like, it's fine.
0: You know who he looks <laughs> like, too, real quick? Did you watch Game of Thrones? Oh, yeah. Do you, who, what was that one guy's name, the, uh, the dude with the red hair? Come on, the, the wildling dude. You remember his name? He looks exactly like him, though. <laughs> I can't a lot remember smaller. his name.
1: yeah. You
0: know, he looks yeah, crazy. Yeah, like he, manic. he has like the crazy eyes sometimes. Like that guy, I can't remember his name.
1: Only when he's on Twitter, though.
3: <laughs> yeah. I
1: don't uh, know you, who you're talking about. Yeah, that yeah, guy's I You're know. talking about
3: Torment. Yes, yeah. that guy. Yeah, Torment. Yeah. Torment Giant Spin. Did yeah, I ever tell guy. you about? <laughs> I told you yeah. About the time I was with the Giants.
1: I think yeah. He, yeah. I think Jake looks more like the chick he likes.
3: Who's that? Um, oh, oh, for, oh, <laughs> oh, oh
1: <boy. laughs> if she, if she oh. had red beard, that'd be Jake. <laughs> Wait, oh, and who
0: man. likes this chick? The your guy. Oh, okay, I thought you meant me. I'm like, I don't like any, any no, chicks. Take it
1: like, easy, Jim, Jim. <laughs> I haven't had that much to drink.
0: Hey, speaking of, uh, you know, Vorchek, someone's going to have to really step up here because, I mean, I'm not looking to uh, Tyler Pitlick to pick up tr- uh, the production of Travis Connectney. It's going to have to be. Somebody like Voracek is gonna have to produce a little bit more.
1: Well, let's keep it off of Twitter. I don't want to. I want to ruffle his feathers or anything.
0: <laughs> hey, you know who's not blocked by Voracek on Twitter? It's uh, High and Wide Radio.
1: Give it time. Yeah, you'll have <laughs> you'll have it pretty soon. <laughs> he's got a he's got five years left. Yeah, we've got plenty of time to get blocked.
0: Maybe um tonight will be the night. We'll see. Uh, where does
3: was... the badge of honor right? Yeah. That the, oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, make that the header image. Yeah, there
0: you go. <laughs> um, something I kind of wanted to tie together, and and Jack and Kyle were talking a lot about this during the beginning of the week. You know, they were getting in some uh, some back and forth arguments with some other Flyers fans. You know, uh, it was mentioned, and I think you actually brought it up. Uh, what was it last week, Russ, about the Flyers' attendance being a little bit low, or, or the the you know the uh, arena looking a little empty? Um, Kyle and Jack brought up the fact that you know there's not as much physicality in the game anymore. And I noticed after the game Saturday, you know, if you didn't watch that game, you'd have no idea that the Flyers won because all anybody was talking about was the physical altercations. Um, you know, they were talking about the, the TK hit. They were talking about the, you know, Brady Kachuk, Scott law and BS that was going on. Vorchek got in a fight in that game, by the way, we didn't even bring that up. Uh, you know, that's all anybody was talking about on Twitter. And, and I think that creates a buzz, you know, and gets people excited to go to games. So I, I kind of tried to tie that in with, hey, the attendance is low because, yes, they're winning games. So I know people aren't trusting them yet,
3: but the product is not as exciting. What yeah, you- was that, for, that? That was me. Okay. Um, <laughs> there, there are so many reasons that attendance is down, yeah. um, some of which I can't report yet. We're working on something. Okay. Um, here are things that have that have been public that that are definitely part of this. One, um, I happen to frequent a lot of Facebook groups, which is obviously a different demo than than oh the Twitter God, sphere. God, I don't know how you doing? Um, yeah. and and there's a certain gal whose voice was often tied to the flyers and oh is no longer doing so, whose statue was once outside of Xfinity Live and no longer is. And there are a lot of pissed off fifty and over people uh, mm-hmm. that Kate Smith was removed and and whitewashed from this uh, organization, and it it is a thing. I I thought that it was just going to be like something that would blow over right away. I can't tell you how many times I've been on these Facebook groups, and I and it's like you know, TK's out concussion, Phil Myers out back spasms. Hey, the team's been pretty, playing pretty well. And then, like the fourth post, like every fourth post is, can you believe what they did to Kate Smith? What a disgrace! It's like, Gu- guys, we're in December, like this part's past. And by the way, the the rendition of God Bless America that Kate Smith and uh, and Lauren Hart that we, you know they kept calling back to, I'm sorry, it wasn't very good. Uh, <laughs> it it had long lost its luster, and I'm actually kind of glad it's over. But wow. that's part of it. The other part of this is the tickets are too expensive. Uh, what was the name of the guy who ran in New York who said it was the rent is too damn high party? Uh-huh. The tickets cost too much. They, the, flyers, the Flyers since Ed Snyder passed away and since Comcast has really taken over, they have priced out a large swath of their fan base. You can't take a family to go see the Flyers at anywhere near an affordable rate. You can't go and buy upper level tickets without dropping, I don't know, let's say let's say you have it doesn't even happen on the secondary market. You just get the tickets from the team. Say it's 75 bucks a ticket or 65 bucks a ticket to sit up top for a family of 4. Add into that $22 for parking, add into that it's what $14 for a beer. You go to Shake Shack, you can run that up to 16 bucks yourself with the inflation. There is no way to take a family and it be affordable. If you're a college kid, say that you go to Westchester like I did and you go through the, the hell that is riding SEPTA all the way to uh, Wells Fargo Center. You can't afford that. You have to go to the secondary market where, by the way, a lot of tickets are marked up because the team has been selling large, large, and I mean large amounts of tickets to corporate brokers who then don't turn around and sell the tickets or they inflate them themselves all of a sudden, you have large sections of the arena that are empty. Meanwhile, the twenty-five dollars standing room only tickets that they started this season are sold out. Except for uh, last week, there was uh, the Toronto game; there was nobody up there. But these are all reasons that attendance is down, and the Flyers should be ashamed of it, but they're not.
0: Hey, Russ, uh, real quick, and then Jack and Kyle, I'll, I'll let you guys go on this. But you mentioned the, you know, the corporate sellouts i mean you're seeing big chunks of seating that are completely empty and uh, that's what that is like they're they're either you know they're selling these tickets to the i think the corporations they're putting them online to sell or they're just not going to the games i mean uh, like uh, i'll look online for for tickets and stuff and you know i'll look last minute because that's when everybody drops their price to like 40 50 60 bucks you know you can get decent seats but you know, you're not selling all those tickets a half an hour, an hour before the game. There's no way.
3: Nope. Um, There's not. Yeah. And, and by the way, they also priced out um, what are essentially legacy season ticket holders that have had season tickets for generations. They tripled the price on some lower level seats, um, all as part of offering this, like, nonsensical exclusive club in the lower level. And by the way... The Flyers increased their ticket prices after the debacle that was a season ago. You have to remember, there was a time where the Sixers, uh, you know, turned things around and didn't raise prices as much as the Flyers did after last year. That's insane. It's tone deaf in one hand. And on the other hand, it speaks to corporate greed, which is exactly what people were afraid of when Comcast Spectacor and Dave Scott moved in and Val Camillo, who formerly worked for the Washington Nationals, the Natitude Lady. When she came in, there's a reason that a lot of people have uh, – there's been a mass exodus on the other side of the operation from hockey, on the business side. That's disappointing, man.
2: Let me let me start by saying this. If you're not going to Flyers games solely because a statue of some broad is an out front, <laughs> go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Seriously. If that's your reasoning, just get lost because I don't want you in the stadium anyway.
1: Oh my! I was so enthralled in what Russ was saying about the corporate greed, and then Kyle goes back and
3: says, "Off the top <laughs> rope." Yeah.
1: And I, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree, but I was in this whole corporate—you know, those, those no. MF-ers. Are you kidding me? I'm this I is see, nightmare. I said,
2: "Let me start with that. Let me start with that because there's let me, more. Let's get rid of some fans right off the bat." Uh, <laughs> secondly, I'm, like Russ was saying, I mean. It's a corporate shell now. It's all it is. There's no uh, team, family atmosphere aside from what's in the locker room. But that, that doesn't exist anymore. That's gone. That died with Schneider. We all knew that was going to happen. To throw a fan base so far under the bus the way the corporation of Comcast has done, that's just flat out disrespectful in my personal opinion. But everybody expected it i don't think there's a single person when comcast took over that went oh everything's gonna stay status quo you know what i mean no we need a a 300 foot billboard of a goddamn uh tv in there now
3: like it is nice
2: though. i'm pretty sure it, is, <laughs> nice. it, is, it, it is, is nice it is it is really that, nice but that's all gonna, that's all going to contribute to your ticket prices the, the four head coaches or three head coaches God. we have.
3: That's, Come on. Comcast would never pass off the expenses of a, uh, of a renovation of a horrible building to their consumers. They would never do such a thing. Hashtag Comcast cares. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> but um, as to the point that we were discussing the other day on Twitter, and I was just bringing it up as a point, not necessarily the only reason that Flyers fans aren't showing up anymore, but let's be honest here. Even when the Flyers win games, it's it doesn't have the same taste in it. If that makes any sense, that it did even in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. You know, there's just not that same edge to the game that there was even ten years ago. So you lose a lot of older fans to that too. I mean, you have a lot of older fans. Watched the Broad Street Bullies. Watched even in the 90, the 80s, the 90s, the, the 2000s. It was still, it, albeit it wasn't Broad Street Hockey 70s, it was still physical. I mean, it was still, at any point in time, a game could break out and be, it would feel like a playoff atmosphere in the middle of the regular season. Now it's no longer like that. The season's not played that way.
3: Here, all alienates that- and fans. If what? if you refuse to go out and support this team because the guys aren't or the guys are wearing visors on their helmets and aren't beating the unholy hell out of each other every ten minutes, then you need to put your Vietnam War cap on, push those Walmart carts back in the row, go home and have a beer. <laughs> and, think about, and think about and think and think about your life. Because it's it. it not what I was saying, though, it's that makes sense. It's it's a like there. Are, there are so many parts of this. I'll, I'll go go back to what you were saying. I'm sorry. It it's just. Th- no, then, even, even if they're not
2: fist fighting every ten minutes, granted that's not the sport anymore. It's not as physical as it was.
3: And it's not going to be, but this happens. It's been happening across every sport, right? Like this is the thing the NFL's had an issue with, right? The big hits aren't there anymore. It's become more of a finesse game. You can't touch the quarterback. You can't touch the receivers. And even if you do, and and it gets challenged, they're never going to overturn it for pass interference. It's happened in basketball. How many times have, I I don't know how many of you guys enjoy watching basketball, but I can't tell you how many times as somebody who does enjoy uh, basketball a lot, I've had to hear about, you know, the the good old days of the Pistons and how they were they were such a hard-nosed team about how Michael Jordan's day this wouldn't fly, how Larry Bird yeah. wouldn't let this fly. It's like get over it. Like the game has changed. It's going to continue to evolve. Things are going to be different. It doesn't mean that it's worse, it doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that the game is different. You have to deal with it. If you if you truly love the sport, you're going to support it through the highs and lows. You're going to support it through the 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 changes that it has over the decades. Otherwise you were just kind of like a fake fan. You were just there to to go watch the modernization of of like old Roman gladiators. And if that's your thing, like by all means, go have fun. Um go watch, I don't know, like the ECHL and hope that there's like a 38-year-old guy who's holding on to the dream, you know, a, another year. You like want to go find a, a bunch of Doug Glatz. I love the movie Goon, but that's not an enjoyable brand of hockey to watch over a season. So I, I guess know. the
2: po- the point I was trying to make was With the physicality being taken out of the sport, which, listen, dude, I watch every game, so (laughs) I'm definitely not abandoning the sport. But what I'm saying is you took out a generation of people that have money and are willing to spend money to go to a game, and you, you have a new generation, as you can see on Twitter for sure, that appreciates the finesse game much more, but don't exactly have the money to go to the game. That's going to that. I mean, because what we were talking about was attendance. That's going to go into attendance. woes.
3: Sure. I think it's on the team to adapt because if that generation has been lost to your point that has the money and they're not coming out for whatever reason, then you have to, at some point, if you care about your fans, which, um, hmm, uh, there was some evidence that they might not, uh, you need to adjust to the fan base that does want to come out. And if that means that you have to start gearing more, like they, they have a program in place for like last minute deals for college students, which is cool. And they don't do a good enough job of of um, publicizing to local college campuses. They should be doing a better job of, of outreach to that demographic, because here's the here's the real fear. And this should be a fear for Comcast. It should be a fear for any hockey fan in this area. It should be a fear for the NHL, quite frankly, across the board. You don't want to have what's happening and has happened to baseball happen to hockey. You don't want to see the paradigm shift in the youth of the area go from supporting hockey or wearing a hockey sweater to school or wearing some kind of hockey memorabilia to not having any interest whatsoever. And that's one of the things that we've been hearing quite a bit from fans, As we've been kind of doing some digging on this uh, story that I think will come out at some point uh, after we get a few people to brave up and go on record. Um, a lot of people have talked about the fact that their kids, their older kids who are in their 20s now, used to go to school wearing uh, you know, their favorite player's sweater. You don't see it now. Um, I know plenty of teachers who tell me that you see international soccer jerseys, you'll see a Lionel Messi Barcelona jersey, and you won't see a single Flyers thing even as the Flyers are in the midst of a winning streak. I mean, you're at a, at a point right now where if this team doesn't do a better job of branding itself and marketing to a younger audience, uh, the, the Flyers that you knew and loved and the home ice advantage that people grew so accustomed to, to finding is going to be dead and gone. And it, it has to be a concern for the organization if they do truly care.
1: I mean, that is so true, especially for the NHL as a whole. They've never marketed themselves very well. They've been the fourth sport of the Big Four forever now. And it, you just – you look at some of their commercials, they force players like Patrick Kane to be in, and they are brutally painful to watch. Like they just yep. have no – personality was even mike richards for just local stuff here like he no personality whatsoever like it, or the wayne simmons
3: uh i can't cure cure auto insurance oh yeah. my god in fairness that was great compared to sproles the Sprouls one is Sproul, the yeah, worst I know. local commercial in the history of local commercials
1: in there and it just but overall it's oof it is tough you know, and and I, what scares me now is like a lot of the like, I don't know if they're just millennials, because technically I'm a millennial, even though I'm like 87 in the years, 85. But like, oh you'll argue with people on Twitter. They didn't even watch the game and they, and they got these full opinions. And I'm like, did you watch the? actually watch the game? Are you just here to stir the pot or you just follow along, with, you know, the score after every period or what? Ha- Are you just not that interested in the game anymore that you just you'll talk about it? You'll call yourself a Flyers fan. But as far as watching the game, you got better things to do. or You can't you don't have the attention span to, to watch these games, let alone pay out the nose and go to one which is what i was getting at like i think all these things we're talking about are contributing factors obviously that and some of the people who didn't care about kate smith as much and were older season ticket holders are just flat out dying like it's 2019 at this point it's a lot of these guys go back to the 70s my dad was a teenager then he's like 62 years old so i can't imagine like how many more people who you know adults like really Are still around and go to games anymore so i mean yeah it's it's a whole lot of things and ultimately like you're saying i don't think comcast really cares it's all about the bottom line and even if it might look bad if they're still getting their they're still all getting a nice fat filthy check then we're not going to see much change for quite a while until things are really bad
3: for them it's a matter of if the tickets are sold and if they're sold to a corporation they're technically sold so they're still filling their coffers with the money And until until people care enough um, to make it a mainstream, um, you know, four for four sports talk radio topic, it's not going to get the attention it deserves. And you're certainly not going to see NBC Sports Philly, who's the partner of the team, talk about how bad attendance is. Right. So unless you're down there or unless you're following people on Twitter that are are down there showing how bad it's gotten you would have no idea how bad attendance has, has gotten down there. It was it was fine when it happened last year because the team was Drek. The fact that it happened or or that the the way that things went down last week happened is inexplicable. The Toronto game, I think they announced the attendance was about fifteen thousand. I I would be shocked if there were more than eleven thousand people there. I mean the entire the the upper bowl of the of the arena um one of the corner sections had 10 people in it. There was one that was just down from press row where I think there might have been 20 people. And then you look at the lower bowl, of course, like you'll see the same six or seven rows in the same like eight different sections that are empty. And more concerning, I think, was not only were the standing room only tickets, uh, those seats empty in that game, but you saw a lot of the club and suite level seats were also unoccupied. Like This was strange. It was strange on a lot of levels. Uh, to the point about millennials, here's part of the the issue, I guess. I'm a millennial. My partner in crime, Anthony Sanfilippo, is not a millennial. And he would tell you that part of the problem that you find with, uh, you know, wondering if people are watching the game is this notion that yeah there there is a younger crowd that is 100% in on the analytics and believes that watching the games and the eye test uh, is a terrible way to go about evaluating what you're seeing on the ice. And so there's like that. Millennial Twitter take of all analytics all the time and then I guess the boomer take on Facebook Which is hundred percent eye test and there are very few people who are willing and able to to take the two fuse them together Try to synthesize it and then present it to people in a way that you know takes the best of both worlds into account It it has become a, a growing issue uh, analytics are great and we use them in our analysis but you also have to know what you're watching. And in a lot of cases, I think with a, a lot – in the case of a lot of younger fans, you're not seeing that. And that part is is obviously going to be frustrating for anybody who does watch the games.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point, especially about analytics. Uh, that's something that we've uh, discussed here a lot is not being – married to one or the other but using each as a tool to you know ultimately come to the best conclusion and like i said twitter is such a terrible cesspool of people who don't watch the game and god they get under your skin awfully quick but yeah i mean that explains it if you're not watching you're not using the eye test you're using analytics why would you go to the game or watch the game
3: to begin with well we um sorry go ahead
2: Now, a prime example of that was uh, Ghost's return to playing after being scratched for, what was it, two or three games? Mm -hmm. He had a goal, and it was a sloppy goal. He just kind of tossed it, and it bounced off a couple things and went in. And overall, he had a terrible game eye test-wise. He gave away the puck multiple times in his own zone, gave away the puck in the neutral zone multiple times. But analytically speaking... It, it said he was one of the best defensemen on the team that game. And he actually ended up with the first star somehow. I was <laughs> well, so confused.
3: If you uh, if you happen to research who it was that made that pick and what site they're right for, uh, you'll be able to see pretty quickly, I guess, why he got the first star in that game. Um, <laughs> that kind of thing goes a long way. It It, it is kind of interesting. I, I wish that they would publicize uh, when people do make the selections on the stars because you'll see so like that that was one example i'm not gonna go bury the person because i don't i don't know this person all that well i know the site they write for and 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 all that nonsense um there are certainly the people who have been entrenched in covering the team for a long time who pick the three stars based on who they think the fans just want to hear so there have been a, a few times in the last two seasons where it's like Claude Giroux's your third star, Carter Hart's your first star, and it doesn't matter how either of them played. You just can automatically go with those two in those positions. Um, it, the, the analytics argument, I think, um, in the hockey sense, like I, I don't remember the guy's name. We talked about him last week, Micah something. Um, he was doing this, this stat about individual impact and isol- or isolated impact. And in September, he was basing it on, I guess, last season's numbers, and said that Ivan Provorov uh, was a second pair defenseman or third pair defenseman who, like, dramatically hurt his team on the power play. And then people kind of, you know, somebody retweeted it. It came up, I guess, a week or two ago, and the guy kind of doubled down. He he said, "Well, okay, I'll 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 elevate him to a second pair defenseman who drastically hurts his team on the power play." And it's like at some point you have to pull your head out of your numbers and watch what's happening. And like counting stats, while they don't work to your analytic approach, they're still the thing that ultimately matter. And the counting stats are the thing that end up getting guys paid. They're the things that get James Van Riemsdyk $7 million a year, right? So it's like the, the analytics, the over-analytical crowd is akin to like on the NBA side, the the league pass crew who don't actually watch any of the games, but they watch the highlights and act as though they're a an expert on every team in the league. It's it's become a very strange place. Twitter is is almost like where you go to fake it until you make it.
2: Excellent. Uh, actually, I was a hey Jack. We were a part of that thread. I I, I believe somebody on that thread said Kevin Shattenkirk was uh, better than. Ivan
1: Provorov. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's saying, because um, he's playing better with Tampa this year. And I was like, have you ever watched him you know, before that? <laughs> yeah, have you watched Provorov <laughs> at all? And, yeah, basically he was just a Tampa Bay fan. Like, you know, I, I, I picked up to be 17. What was that, Kyle?
2: I said he also happened to be 17. So oh, yeah. he must <laughs> yeah. <only> be relying <laughs> on analytics.
1: Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> How old do you think this guy is? Oh, yeah, yep. Fully,
3: It is cool. Uh, Like, look, even even like to the most minute detail, the way that you can track things analytically is great. But like Riley Cote told us uh, beginning of the season when he was coaching um, with the Phantoms, they would get the analytical data. And and he said, like, you could have something as small as like the number of times that a, a player plays the puck in deep into the zone on his forehand. And he's like, that's great. And like people will base entire articles on that kind of thing. But he's like, that doesn't take into account that like the forehand might have been the only option the guy had. That his backhand was defended and there was no way he was going to be enter- able to enter the zone or clear the zone with it. And he's like, if if you don't watch the game and all you do is crunch the numbers, he's like, you lose the entire idea of of the human element of, of the sport. So I don't know. I, I like analytics, but I, I don't like the people who only subscribe by them and refuse to watch the games.
1: Something like that would drive me nuts because it's like, there's so many variables that could happen that to be married to certain stats in certain situations and not even consider like something you just said, like, well, yeah, I went to my forehand because my backhand was defended. I'm not going to be stripped of the puck and be in more hot water because your analytics are telling me to do something else. Like it makes no sense. Like it, it just, that's the complete disconnect from the game. These are also human beings. They're not robots. Bingo. You know, yeah, when you tell them to do something, it just doesn't always happen that way. Think, you know, things happen. The, the puck bounces funny. Do they have analytics for every time a baseball, like, hit a pebble in the field and went over a, a guy's glove? Like, give me a break. They might have that now, actually. Yeah, you're right. They might. <laughs> I mean, in
3: fairness, baseball kind of needs anything they can to get people interested, so.
1: That's true, yeah. They should start singing and dancing after games, like the
3: Hurricanes. I think the oh. Phillies should go and try to make a. Uh, they should try to get a mascot like Gritty. Just have
1: Gritty to right.
3: rival the fanatic. Just have him rival.
1: If nobody's going to the Flyers games, Gritty should just pop on over there in the off season. You know I mean? Get the most telling.
3: The most telling thing I thought. I don't know if you guys watched the uh, the six ABC Thanksgiving parade, but they were talking about you know like oh who are people going to be most excited to see? It was like Santa Claus, somebody else. And then the on-screen graphic was the Philly Fanatic, but just out of habit, the uh, announcer said, uh, or Gritty. (laughs) It's like Gritty shows up dressed as a turkey, steals the show. I know that there are a lot of of hockey purists who hate Gritty and are really mad that the team is based so much around Gritty. But like in fairness, it was the only positive last year. And if you're trying to get kids out to the game, there's nothing better than that drunk uncle. And that's kind of Gritty gritty is, is everyone's furry drunk uncle.
1: He's like the most popular mascot behind fanatic.
3: (laughs) Like it's ridiculous. I think he's past the fanatic, to be honest. In in at least younger fans. Yeah. Gritty and and like honestly, there's I I know like I feel like gritty speaks to me. (laughs) Gritty's a dick. Gritty Gritty's kind of like your spirit animal. Like for a, for a young kid, you see the googly eyes. My kids love Gritty. They think he's the funniest thing ever. But then like when you watch Gritty go like spray people down with silly spray and then the NHL has to delete the video or, <laughs> or he's like, you know, getting into fights with people in the stands. I know most of that is uh, is uh, prearranged and everything. But like there's something about it. Him stumbling around when he went streaking at the uh, outdoor classic game last year. Uh, At the link, he just goes streaking across the entire field and then uh, belly flops onto like the little side rink. It's like Uh those are the kind of things a Philly fanatic can't do. Gritty, gritty kind of gets to fulfill all of those long-held hopes and dreams you would have for a mascot to just not care. Real
1: quick, just to say, I think the reason I like him the most because at first I was like, "Whoa, I don't know." To see how I was yeah anybody outside of philly talked negatively it was like oh, oh, oh pump the brakes and that's where i think the real love came from it was like no, you know, can't talk shit on our guy only we can and you know what just because of that this guy's a fucking man on top of that everything you just said now he's like like you said like bigger than the fanatic i think uh
0: you know you brought up earlier we were talking about attendance and you you know you mentioned your kids uh the flyers and i i think I think it was Steph Driver from uh, Broad Street Hockey. Street Hockey. She put something out, and I think she kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit. Where, you know, you have this older crowd—the the fifties and fifty-year-olds, sixty-year-olds. Jack, you mentioned your dad. I mean, they had the Broad Street Bullies. They had a couple Stanley Cups to remember, and you know that's why they love the team. Um, you know, guys like us—we had Lindros, Leclaire, you know, Hextall, guys like that to grow up with. Um, you know, and then. There was kind of that period where, you know, Jack, you mentioned guys like Richards and Carter who never really showed any personality. I mean, guys like Hartnell were there. He was fun to watch. But, you know, really nobody to kind of like really grab onto and, and look back and say, man, I I love that team. You know, and then you have the last couple years. Um, and they bring in Gritty now for the kids, you know, and, and to me that was kind of like, okay, well, they're trying to capture the young crowd, right? You know, they're trying to make new fans for – you know, when they're old enough to buy their own tickets, they they actually show up to the game. I think they missed, I think there's a, I mean, if you go to games, pay attention to the to the kind of crowd that's there. Uh, I think they're all kind of like our age, and like mid-30s, uh, young 30s, uh, 40s, things like that. I mean, occasionally, you know, people bring their kids and shit, but pay attention to the crowd because I don't remember seeing that many 17, 18, 19-year-olds running around at Flyers games.
1: Yeah, so. I, I agree. And they're not wearing the shit to uh, school either. It's like they missed a generation generation gap.
0: I forgot about that because you know what, uh, Russ? You made a good point with that too. Like, it's not really cool to wear Flyers jerseys. I mean, like, you have the Sixers. Obviously, you have the Eagles. The Phillies are making big signings every other uh, offseason, whatever it is. Like, it's cool to wear um, a Bryce Harper jersey. It's not really cool to wear a Claude Giroux jersey to school. You know what I mean? So, uh, it's just it's interesting to see what they're going to do because they're going to have to do something as far as, you know, bringing more people into that building. Um, for sure. I,
3: don't, I, you know, I just, I hadn't, I hadn't heard of the thing that you were saying because, uh, like Jake Vorachek, she has me blocked, uh-huh. uh, which <laughs> I think stemmed from, uh, <laughs> while, <laughs> while she was, uh, reporting that Joel Quenville was going to be the next coach of the flyers. Uh, <laughs> San Filippo and I had previously uh, <laughs> reported that Hextall was going to be the first one fired. He was. Uh, we got no accreditation over on, uh, on their fine site. We did actually give uh, her and Dave Isaac, who also reported Quindle was going to be the head coach of the Flyers, uh, credit for breaking the news of the Hextall thing. It was weird. It was a one-way street of sorts. Somehow I ended that- up blocking all that. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, but they were like,
1: they screwed that up big time. Not only was Clint Hill yeah, well, hired, but when they said Haxall was fired, he still wasn't fired. He still, like, flew home on a plane, maybe had another game, and then he was canned.
3: Yeah, well, so there's, uh, um, hmm, how much of this is, okay, so <laughs> they weren't going to fire Dave Hackstall. They had no intention of firing him. Wow. There was none. When the decision was made to fire Hextall, which came down on Black Friday last year, we were doing the Press Row show, and Anthony dropped the tidbit that there was a meeting going on and that Hextall could very well be the first one, the first head to roll. There was no intention to get rid of Dave Hextall. The problem is that the two people who went and put it out there had enough of a platform that it started to spread like wildfire. And fans had had enough of the Dave Hackstall era that the team kind of caved to the wow. fan base. And it doesn't happen all that much, but they caved in that moment. And the second that that Dave Isaac put out, who I respect, I think Dave Isaac does a really good job, so I don't want that to get misconstrued. And I, I'm very confident that I know where that information came from that he got. Uh, there's an issue that exists there uh, insofar as Isaac was a respected enough guy that he got enough people who are difference makers in the hockey community to buy into the notion that it made international news and at that point you can't go back. So they didn't actually intend on firing Haxtell. I think it was the next day as Scott Gordon told us he had no clue that he was going to be brought in to be the next head coach and the reason he didn't know uh, after you connect a few dots, is because uh, there were no inklings in the organization. Usually when you get ready to fire a coach, you start to alert a few of the uh, the AHL guys or a couple of the assistant coaches to let them know a decision could be coming down and that you might be you know, working on gauging if they'd be interested in, in making any kind of a shift. Some guys are, are locked in where they're at in the AHL. They're locked in. Their families are locked into that area. They they don't want to, you know, fundamentally change everything for a few month run. So Scott Gordon didn't see it coming. None of the assistant coaches saw it coming. This wasn't a sh- like this. This wasn't something that the organization was planning on. They just finally caved to to pressure, and it happened. But yeah, lost in all that reporting is uh, Joel Quenville was. I, I don't know. Is he still the head coach of the Flyers? It's. Uh, <laughs> still-
1: well, I have to ask, dude. You opened up a whole thing there. So when they brought Hextall in because a lot of us thought this without any proof or anything, but I have to ask, we all were, at least most of us, were under the ins- assumption that he refused to fire Hackstall, so they said it's either you or him, and he took it. Obviously, there was more said than that, but you're saying that wasn't even on the table. Like, they weren't even talking no. about Hex,
3: Hackstall so, being there there, So, the issue was, like, I know that a lot of people were running with the idea that Hackstall wouldn't fire Hackstall. Uh, a lot of the info that we got towards the end of of Hextall's run is that's not the case. Um, I think that if Hextall had remained in power, there's a a decent chance that he would have fired Hextall. It's just that once they made the decision to get rid of Hextall, the organization had no intention of also firing their coach in the same season. Hextall, uh, there were a couple of people who said that some of these confusing lineups that you were seeing Dave Hextall employ last year were not Dave Haxtell's idea. What? So take that for whatever you want it to, whatever it's worth. So he was oh kind of stuck with these my guys. So Haxtell
0: way. was telling him who to start.
2: That much of a micromanage. Was he well, micromanaging it makes sense when he, that he said Paul
1: Murphy was a, a spy, which we found out. Yep. Among all the other goofball stuff going on with the whole not letting the alumni in and watching what
3: everything they ate, that's yeah. where that's where Hexdal lost. Uh, that's where he lost because it was it was the way that he treated the alumni. I think a lot of the other stuff would have been fine, it would have gone under the radar. Nobody ever would have known about it. I mean, uh, he he kept a very tight circle, but the way that he alienated the alumni was something that higher ups in the organization like Paul Holmgren and, and Bobby Clark couldn't look away from. And we we talked to both of those guys in the offseason. And in both cases, when Hextall's name came up, it was it was just kind of almost as if they were disappointed that it happened because they're they're a fraternity, right? Flyers mm-hmm. are our family. They've always been family. And it was almost as if I, I got the sense that it felt like some of them felt like they were betrayed. By the way that Hextall went about dealing with the alumni of the team, and that the trust that had been there kind of eroded. Hextall had had closed off the circle so much that uh, there were there were murmurings that uh, Paul Holmgren wasn't even privy to what was going on with the organization, and he was technically Hextall's boss. Wow. Uh, I mean, so I mean, it was a it it was a it was an untenable situation. The fact that it lasted as long as it did, I think, was just because they they wanted to look out for one of their own. But at some point, enough things had rubbed enough people at enough levels of the organization the wrong way that they had no choice but to get rid of Ron Hextall. It was, it was a very strange end.
1: Wow. Yeah, I think I overlooked a lot because I liked how he drafted so much. But to hear that, it makes a lot of sense. It really does.
3: Uh... The real loss there was Chris Pryor who was his right-hand man on all the drafts. Yeah. Um, and he and was really, and he was, he was part of that inner circle, or that was at least how a lot of the people in the organization had perceived him. So there was no way that he was going to stay on. Because I know that was a question that a lot of people had when things were going down of, of why they would have also parted ways with Pryor and not just promoted him. Uh, that was a big part of why.
1: Do you think they would have at least gotten rid of Hax Hacks- Haxall as soon as the season ended? Like, wait, bring in Fletcher. They finished out the season and move yeah. off from there.
3: Okay, I, I think they probably would have. I think Fletcher. the The whole thing was, I think Fletcher wanted to give him a chance. He wanted to give him an, an opportunity. And if you remember, I think it was the first two, three games after Fletcher came in, Haxall made uh, he made a few decisions with his tactics and with his lineups that we hadn't seen. And I don't necessarily think it was desperation. I think it was finally he was kind of free of of what might have been being imposed from above. But even that said, he obviously didn't do a good enough job to save his to save his position with the team. So it, you know, it kind of doesn't matter at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. I just that's so mind boggling because it's like with the GM, it's like they usually get more than one head coach. You know, they get another shot at it and it's just yeah. to see that that's why I think everybody assumed that he put it, you know, it all out there for Hackstall. But I mean, what you're saying makes so much more sense with everything else that had come out at that time. So there you go. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, uh,
0: without even realizing we're almost, uh, an hour and a half, just about an hour and a half. It's almost 10 o'clock over here, Russ. I wasn't kidding when I told you we could talk to you all night. Um, We're going to have to have you on again. I mean, I don't want to keep you on too late tonight. Uh, So, I mean, uh, we're going to wrap this one up. I mean, unless there's anything you guys want to add in real quick before we end here, was there anything we missed?
1: I just want to say, Russ, it was an absolute joy. (laughs) Hey, 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 hey.
3: Yes. That.
1: Seriously, Uh, that was some awesome information. Great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on.
3: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
1: Oh, yeah, you
0: we know, have to do this again, man. Thanks a lot, and uh, we'll, we'll have to talk soon.
3: Absolutely, appreciate uh, appreciate having me on, and of of course, I will uh, selflessly plug that people go check out the stuff that we're doing uh, over on CrossingBroad.com. That's uh, my dear pal Anthony Sanfilippo and I. We do the uh, Snow the Goalie Show every Monday from five to six p.m. over on Six Ten ESPN. Beautiful.
0: Awesome. So you guys make sure you make sure you guys check that. I'm sure you I'm sure everyone that listens to us has already checked you guys out. So awesome stuff there, Russ. And uh, we'll have to talk soon, man. Absolutely. Um, Before we wrap up, why don't we um, go over where the Flyers are in the standings right now? They're third in the Metro, fourth in the Eastern Conference. Uh, They're currently 17, eight and five for 39 points, 10, two and four at home, which they will not be playing for the next three days. Uh, coming up on the schedule they have the Colorado Avalanche, the Minnesota Wild and the Winnipeg Jets. Jack, how do you see these games playing out?
1: I think they lose 5 to 2 to Colorado. I think they win 5 to 4 to Minnes- uh, Minnesota and I think they win 4 to 1 against Winnipeg. So, 2 and 1. Wow. Kyle. I think they're
2: going to beat Colorado.
1: What? Wow.
2: <laughs> I think they're going to upset Colorado. No. Right off the bat, they're gonna start the week off ridiculous, and then I think they might let us down in game two.
1: No,
2: I think they to might. A might throw a they're gonna throw a clunker against fucking Minnesota. I'm feeling it.
1: I don't think. And then i think to they're
2: gonna surprise like us again fucking whack off fucking Winnipeg. <laughs> whack off.
0: <laughs> what, what are they gonna do? Off. Who's getting <laughs> <gonna> whack
1: <laughs> off here? Bumped off. And whacked. And it comes out, whack off.
3: (laughs) you think that
1: uh, Chucky Fletcher would let this team lose to his old squad?
2: I think think I'm feeling a letdown game there. It's a bad team. You see how they play against fucking bottom of the the rung teams.
1: That's true. Absolutely true. Uh, Well, you know what, though? If they beat Colorado, I'd be more than happy with that because that team is good. And if this team can beat that team, then I am perfectly happy.
0: Yeah, you know what's going to be interesting is going to see how they, they play without the leading point scorer on the team and Travis Konechny. Uh, True. You know, Pitlick, Pitlick stepping up into that top line. Pitlick with a hat trick? Is that what you
1: just said?
2: Yep, it's going to be my first key.
1: It's going to be you a Pitlick. A Pit yeah. trick. <laughs> pit trick? You heard it here. <laughs> don't use Travis, it. Ain't Travis, Travis
0: Pitlick hat trick. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be a tough week. It's, you know, potentially – has potential to be not good at all. They're going to need some guys to step up. Uh, maybe, you know, guys like Ghost and JBR are going to have to contribute for a check, obviously. It's uh, not an easy week. I mean, you look at the Wild. They're playing pretty well lately. I'm not saying that they should lose, but I don't expect them to beat the uh, Avalanche, and I don't expect them to beat the Jets. Having said that, I think they're going to go 3-0. <laughs>
1: of course. <laughs> <laughs> Undefeated. Yes. Yeah, so, so I can see us now in April. So Jim, what do you think of the Flyers playoff chances? If they lose one playoff game, I'll be surprised. All right, yeah. thanks Jim. <laughs> 16 and 0 baby every
0: year. 82 and 0, 16 and 0 Stanley Cup. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's going to wrap up uh, our show tonight. We went for uh well, I feel like almost 2 hours we'll see after the uh after we stop recording here, but a lot of a lot of fun tonight, a lot of info.
1: Definitely. Uh opened up some buys. I liked it
0: yeah uh, we, Kyle announced his new show. It was a pretty big night. Kyle, do you have any idea when your um first episodes gonna be?
2: I'm trying to it's it's tricky because of December so I, I have like five guys lined up right at the moment but with December and Christmas and all I'm okay. hoping I can get one in before Christmas and then everything else after the new year but we'll see i' I'll, I'll, I'll check my Twitter and I'll be sure to uh, post it.
0: Yeah, and you want to put that handle back out there? Because I don't remember if we did that already.
2: Oh, it's uh, at Enforcers Corner.
0: At Enforcers Corner. Make sure you guys check that out. There's going to be some cool guests coming up. Kyle always coming through with the, with the cool guests, with the enforcers. He was the man behind the Riley Cote uh, interview for us. So you can expect big things over there. Um, do we need to put our Twitter handles out there? I'm pretty sure... You know, people probably, not that I got a big head or anything, but if you if you guys are listening, I'm sure you follow us by now. You know, can't hurt to throw them out there, I guess. Jack, you want to give your Twitter handle?
1: Jack underscore HW radio. Let's keep it going. <laughs> you, can find,
0: wonder,
1: <laughs> you can find me at Warner Kyle
2: 29 Sweet, simple to the point. Come check me out for Kyle's keys, and uh, I'll keep everybody posted on Enforcer's Corner.
0: There you go. Find me an angry Marv HW, and uh, yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you guys see how that came around again? Somebody posted a picture yep. of
1: yep. Marv. Yep, I, I was trying to find who did it. I was like, oh snap!
0: Son of a bitch! I, I
1: look nothing like Marv, by the way. At least you not- look everything like Marv. Marv. <laughs> no, I don't. At least you're not. You know what? You just shouldn't have had your hand in your pants in that picture. That's what did it. Is it? <laughs> yeah, but I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> hey, at least you're not known as a drunkard on air. I mean, come on. Yeah, you're a damn good looking drunkard though. Yeah, but nobody ever sees me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure.
2: We see you, Jack, and that's the most important thing.
1: <laughs> do, well thank do you. You guys you're in Enforcer's Corner now. <laughs>
0: Let's wrap this up. I feel like we could keep going. Let's wrap it up. We'll uh, we'll be back actually next. Let me see what's today Tuesday. We will be back next Monday, the sixteenth, with Kelly Hinks of Broad Street Hockey. So looking forward to talking to Kelly.
1: Did I say Hinky or Hinks? It's Kelly it's, Hinks. You said Hinks, but her name is Kelly Hinkle.
0: <laughs> H- Hinkle, yeah. Sorry, you Kelly. You
1: your Twitter handle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we'll have Kelly Hinkle on next week, so make sure you guys tune in. should be another good episode. Uh, looking forward to it, and uh, hopefully we're talking about three wins. So wrapping up, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll talk next week. Boom.